The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, Biscuit listeners, and welcome to another freshly baked edition of the Biscuit Podcast, celebrating Charlotte's creativity every week. I'm your host, Andy Go. Just a few weeks ago, DigiBridge founder and CEO David Jessup announced that he was stepping down from his position to go to law school. I was able to catch up with David at DigiBridge headquarters to talk a little bit about his decision. You'll hear David talk about what made him want to go back to school, whether or not he plans to return to Charlotte, and if he feels satisfied with the work that he's done at DigiBridge. Around that same time, Dami was taking home the crown at CLT DJ Battle held at Camp North End's Dup and Swat. Dami rocked a packed house with a mix of house, world, and hip-hop beats that you may have heard if you listened to last week's episode of the Biscuit Podcast. Dami spoke to me about how she prepared for that set, how she fell in love with DJing, and what separates the good from the best. Let's take a listen. For you personally, what are what's next for David Jessup? So this fall, I'm excited to head home. Uh, I will be heading home to the University of Miami uh, and sort of checking off uh, one of those uh, long-term goals to attend law school. So I will be uh, heading in about two weeks down to uh, Miami to jump back into school. Has it always been a plan of yours to go back to school, or is this something that has manifested itself recently? In undergraduate, I, uh, I studied political science and pre-law. Uh, I had planned in 2009 uh, to go to law school. Height of the recession sort of realized everyone around me was also going to law school, um, and that was about the same time when Teach for America approached me, uh, offered an opportunity to support their mission uh, to ensure that all kids have access to an excellent education. Uh, and so applied for Teach for America, got in, thought, okay, I'll take a two-year hiatus uh, and work in education. And, you know, I think you often hear folks say it's hard uh, to unsee what you've seen. And that feels really, really accurate to me right now. I've been in this work 10 years now, and it's largely because what I saw in 2009 I have not been able to unsee. And as I've worked more closely with schools and gotten deeper with community, I've realized that the problems, the challenges that I saw in 2009 are, are layered and uh, are going to take, take a lot of us to undo, you know, ensuring that all kids have access not just to a quality schoolhouse and great teachers, but also the great tech tools uh, needed to, to succeed in, in 2019 is, is going to take a community effort. While I'm revisiting a goal of mine, a longer-term goal of mine, I think that, you know, when I find myself on the other side of this in three years, I'll still be just as committed to the work. It'll just look a little different. After finishing law school and hopefully, of course, getting the degree, do you hope to return to this type of work that you're doing with DigiBridge? I think that's a great question, and I'm not exactly sure where I will land in three years, I think, today. Uh, at 32 years old, I know now more than ever that I don't have this figured out. <laughs> um, what I am seeing, specifically in Charlotte, is 
how much of a role development plays in the makeup of our schoolhouses and the perception of our schools and of the teachers within the schools and of the families who attend the schools. And so I am interested in better understanding uh, the practices of development, the practices of, of real estate law specifically, um, to understand how housing policies and other policies related to development play a role in either supporting our schools or, or not. Some of the segregation that we've seen in this city has truly been intentional, uh, and I think we're going to have to be just as intentional, probably more intentional, if we want to see our schools reintegrated. I want to make sure that we are uh, a great city with a great school system. How satisfied would you say you are with the work that you've done in the five years here at DigiBridge? Yeah, I am absolutely not satisfied. <laughs> um, I will not be satisfied until, you know, every every child, you know, whatever the number is now, 150,000 kids in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools all have access to the tools they need and the supports they need during the school day um, to achieve. My return to school is is because I am not satisfied with where we're at. That does not mean that we have not made some great progress, celebratory, you know, nonetheless, still requiring attention and requiring a larger groundswell of folks um, to join us in this work. You know, the last couple months, I've become really comfortable with saying I was nothing more than an organizer. Um, And I, I really think that to be the case. Really, all I did was organize people who were already committed to this work that just didn't know how to plug in. The next phase of this work is going to be the more challenging phase. We're going to have to connect with people and we're going to have to engage people who don't see this work as important or they see it as important, but for only their children. Um, We need to get everyone in this region uh, on the same page as it relates to access and and equity in our schoolhouses. And, And one of the places where you know, a starting point is DigiBridge. A starting point is um, computer science for all coursework. Um, that is not the, uh, the uh, end-all, be-all. That is not the, uh, the solution. Uh, it is one prong of many. All right, David, last question here, but it is a two-parter. What are the next steps for DigiBridge, and how is DigiBridge going to evolve without you? So next steps, uh, the board has been working diligently with Social Venture Partners uh, to identify my successor, uh, and uh, we've been doing that work for a number of months now. I have decided to um, step back from that process and allow for the board to really make the informed decision. Um, I know we had a number of really incredible candidates, uh, and I have put together more or less some some founding principles that I want for us organizationally to commit to ourselves indefinitely. Um, And the board adopted those at my last board meeting, so I'm really proud of, of that work. And I think those those principles ultimately will ensure that the organization continues to evolve, but also and also prioritizes community-based approaches, uh, solutions that are driven with community, not for, uh, and that we are, uh, you know, in a continue to live out our mission and, and commit to commit to disappearing. 
20 years from now, if this organization still exists in the same, with the same model of work and the same mission, we effed up, you know, like, like why, why do we need to be here 20 years from now? So, you know, we talk a little bit about sustainability and that's more sustainability from a, a perspective of how do we ensure that we are around to see this work through. It's not how are, how are we ensuring that we have jobs for the next 10 years within the organization. I am hopeful that in the next five years, um, and I've said 10 now, <laughs> gone three, five, 10, um, I am hopeful that, you know, at our 10-year mark, we will be able to celebrate equity of access and a, a true pathway for all K-12 learners to uh, number one, introduce themselves to computer science and, and STEM education principles. Um, and then number two, to actively pursue those learnings throughout their school day, uh, which will then ultimately translate into coursework or workforce uh, development uh, that will ensure economic mobility you know, and or uh, long-term success. David, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Dom, you wanted to get right into it. Um, what does winning the CLT DJ battle mean to you? It's it's really cool. It's a cool story, actually. Like, I definitely am not a battle DJ. That's not something that I ever thought I would actually do. They came to me day and they wanted to do it for the festival. Charlotte Shout. Charlotte Shout Festival, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, and uh, it got rained out. Um, I agreed to do it because um, they, at first I said no, um, but... They came to me, they uh, wanted to talk about it a little bit and explain why they wanted to do the competition. And it made a lot of sense to me. They wanted to take a bunch of DJs from different different areas of music and, and put them together, kind of create this hype with, with the DJs, which I totally understand. Like my, my music is, I'm really deep into the electronic scene here. So house music is my thing. Like that's what I produce too. Um, so definitely it was not something that I was planning on doing, but it means a lot because it brought together a lot of people and I felt like a lot of people got to see a different side of my DJing and see that, you know, I have been working really hard in all aspects of music. And uh, I was honestly really surprised that I came home with the win, but um, I just did what I do. Like basically, like I had fun up there, so... It was nerve-wracking a little bit because uh, the crowd is definitely a crowd I'm not used to playing to, but uh, it was cool. Yeah, so how did you prepare for that? Because you said that this was your first DJ battle ever and, you know, kind of new environment, uh, weird format. How did you prepare your set for that? Or did you just get up there and kind of spin? Um, So I I didn't, uh, to be honest, I didn't actually, like, really prepare until the day of. (laughs) But uh, what I did... um, I went on my computer. Um, what I what I definitely love to do is get on Ableton and like start messing with things and make edits and remixes and bootlegs and stuff like that. So I was like, let me let me do something that I know how to do. I created an intro for the DJ for when I went on. Like it made it sound kind of cool. Um, worked in these edits that I had made, like and I used to DJ. Basically, I just took things that I know really work while I'm DJing live. And was like, all right, I'm going to take this portion of songs that really work well together from experience and just 
do it there because I only had like three minutes. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do this as fast as I can so, and see what happens. So. I want to take a listen to one part of your set in particular that just made a huge impression on me. And that was that was that beat drop in that um, that Indian song that Jay-Z made famous. Yeah. Um, what's the name of that song? Um, it's called Mundian Bhakti or something. It's hard. I don't really, honestly, don't know what it means. I, I just, I knew this song from a very long time ago when I lived in Romania, and it was like the jam there. And like I heard it again one time, and I was like, I have to download this. And ever since then, I played it in every set. Okay, so let's take a let's take a quick listen to that beat drop. Okay, so, Dami, when I was in the crowd and that beat hit, and you can even hear it on the recording, too, I mean, the energy just blew up in the room. Yeah. Like, people, you could really, really feel it. It was just one of those moments that's hard to describe. Like, yeah. take me through that moment, and did you expect that kind of reaction from I, the crowd? Honestly, no, I didn't expect that um, because, I mean, I think, I think people were surprised um, at the song choice, like, like oh forgot about this song like and surprised that i dropped it to be honest um punjabi mc is the <laughs> but it's a, it's a great oh my god i love it it's like it's an it's a really cool indian song that i heard when i lived in romania and it was the it was on the radio all the time i loved it so it brings back memories for me i think it bring brought back memories for other people too and uh that was that was cool that got me excited to keep playing my set definitely the energy was up then, so I was like, all right, I got this. <laughs> Let's talk about you as a musician. So tell me about where the name Dami comes from. In college, I played soccer at Lenore Ryan University in Hickory. That's how I ended up in North Carolina. Honestly, I'm from Maryland, but I got a scholarship. My teammates called me Dom because it was short for my last name, Dominguez, and easier to say on the field than Ariel. So I literally just got the nickname Dom and Dami. It's easier to say. And then I was like, when I started DJing, I was like, all right, Dami is my DJ. It's a nickname. So it worked out really, really nicely. So coming from Lenore Ryan, how did you get to Charlotte? Um, so I actually started DJing um, in college, like throwing my own parties um, in my basement, actually. The first party I ever threw was in my basement. <laughs> hey, like any good DJ does, right? You got to rock your basement Set first before you can sounds. rock anywhere else. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing party, actually. And then um, worked bars and then clubs, started DJing clubs. People heard of me in Charlotte, so they brought me to label here when it was, and um, I brought a bunch of people from my school there, so it was a good way to, to get myself into Charlotte. And after that, it's the rest is history. They really liked me there. I started opening for like bigger DJs and then found my way all, into all areas of DJing in Charlotte. So. So where can people find you now? Where are you most likely to pop up at behind the turntables? Ooh, that, um, lately, I've been almost everywhere here in Charlotte, which is great. Like um, home base is definitely like as soon as I moved to Charlotte, SIP Charlotte was like I, I've been there for about four years and they, they're amazing people. And that place is awesome all the time. They bring really good DJs. I'll be I'm there a lot of times. Merchant and Trade, Prohibition. 
Uh, I do a lot of electronic music shows. Um, SIP is also the place that hosts my uh, monthly uh, party, housework. I bring a bunch of house DJs uh, to come DJ in the basement in uh, SIP, and it's really fun. It's cool. How did you fall in love with DJing? How did I fall in love with DJing? Oh, this is actually an interesting story. Um, I studied abroad in London uh, my sophomore year of college, and um, I was a graphic design major. I hung out with a bunch of really cool like art artists and um, went to the art school there. Um, uh, when I went out, I would hang out with a bunch of the DJs there. The music scene in London is is amazing. It's underground. It's cool. Like everything is influenced by music there. So hanging out with those DJs, I was just like, this is amazing. I've always had you know an ear. Like I'm always listening to music. So I felt, I just felt like gravit gravitated towards all of that. And I came back here um, after I studied abroad and bought my own setup and just did it for fun. Then started throwing my own parties and it just be swirled in this crazy story where now I'm only DJing and it's my life now, so it's awesome. Tell me, what do you, what do you define as the role of the DJ? I, th I think it can, get, it, it, it can get washed over a lot by casual music fans, kind of what a DJ is and yeah. traditionally what a DJ is represented, especially in hip-hop music too. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you consider the role of the DJ? Well, um, there are definitely different categories of DJs and the, uh, all of them should be respected and, and that's what's cool about DJing is that you have people with different styles, different purposes, like I'm DJing at Merchant and Trade, right? It's not really a party, but I'm there in the background, right? I'm playing background music. I'm creating a vibe. It's still just as important, and you should still just get paid just as much for that as you are, um, like, DJing at a bar where you're supposed to get everyone really lit and crazy, like... Like if you're the focus of the show. Yeah, yeah. or, or you could do, like, um, if you're a producer, DJ, people listen to your music. They come to see you, DJ, like, that then your job is to play your music and to create that vibe for these people that are looking at you and you're the center of the attention. But, but you know, like, it's not always about being the center of attention, which is cool. I, I like everything about DJing, so that's why I, like, make sure that, like, I try to do everything, to be honest, like, because it's fun to switch it up, do Merchant and Trade, do SIP, then be the center of attention and produce music and have people come watch me and dance like so yeah. so you like to be versatile you don't like to stay on just one style yeah i think i just always been like that like i have a short attention span i just <laughs> i get bored with things really easily and so i have to like keep switching up i think which just helps me become a better dj too like I, I, right, exactly, because a good DJ, of course, in my eyes, is somebody who can read the room, yeah. read the read, energy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and be Absolutely. Up and harness that energy somehow. I guess somehow. That, that my point is, yeah, reading the, reading the energy, knowing what your job is there, and doing it well, and knowing your music, and studying. Yeah, it's it's not easy. People think, uh, anyone can DJ, I'd say, but and not anyone can be a, a good DJ. So. so what separates a good DJ from somebody who's still learning? Um, I think definitely someone who does their homework. And ha I think some sometimes I think DJing can't be really taught. To be a good DJ, you just have to have good taste, really. And that's something that can't be taught. Um, you can do your homework, though, and dig into different types of music. Like, every type of music is what I... I dig into everything, and it helps, like like... Playing that that Punjabi MC like 
I dug for that song and I knew like I did my homework like it's it's a it's a dope track and people like it and it worked really well with the hip hop array like stuff like that practice too like I've been able to like practice live with crowds and kind of know so I think that also helped me in the DJ competition as well. What goals do you have as a DJ? Um, so I, hmm, as an individual, I think. Um, or uh, yeah, as an individual, well, as a person first. Yeah, well, actually, I'm in a duo, a producer duo called Bitch Be Cool. And um, we've been doing really well. Um, it's shout out to Raven, who's the other half of Bitch Be Cool. He li he's in L.A. right now. He uh, is from North Carolina, though, and that's how we met. And uh, we started making music together. He taught me so much. And um, and now our music is getting a lot of hype. Um, Diplo is playing our remix of Billie Eilish. It's being played on Sirius XM on Diplo's Revolution, too, um, on repeat, like, a lot. Um, Cascade dropped one of our remixes. So that is, I think, my number one focus, to be honest, is to produce music and be able to play it with Raven who's one of my best friends and that is like the dream right there because you're you're playing music with your best friend and you're getting paid for it and people want to listen to our music so that's definitely number one goal for myself as an individual like I still want to be able to people are like well can you do both I'm like yes I can do anything I want so <laughs> uh, I want to do DJing too for Dami that's I love DJing so open format like but I do I do enjoy um, doing things that I want to do, like house music, cool parties, cool things, different, you know, creating something new, not something that's been done before, like um, repeating the same places over again, like DJing at the same places. It becomes very repetitive, and I definitely just want to keep growing my brand so I can travel more, um, become the best version of Dami that I can and bitch be cool. So traveling is definitely the goal too. Like I love travel. So Dami, I'm gonna let you out of here on this one. What is the best part about being a full-time creative? Um, <laughs> what is it? I get to make my own schedule. You know, um, I don't, I don't have to listen to anyone telling me what to do because I, I think I'm motivated enough and like excited enough about music to make myself it doesn't feel like work to be honest but you know it is work and um i think only certain people who are truly motivated can do it so but that is the best part and it's worth it you're doing what you love and you're getting paid for it so that's awesome <laughs> all right shout yourself out where can people find out more about dami um so and i and bitch be cool yeah, uh, so Bitch Be Cool has a Spotify. You can definitely find us on Spotify. Um, it's Bitch Space B Space Cool. <laughs> and that comes from the Quentin Tarantino movie, um, Pulp Fiction, by the way. Um, but uh, Instagram, Ariel underscore Dami. Facebook, uh, you can just search Dami. It's D-O-M-I-I, -I, by the way, two eyes. Um, just because someone else had the, the one eye already. <laughs> Um, and you can find me on SoundCloud, too. Uh, just search Dami, and you'll be able to find all my stuff. Uh. Dami, thanks once again for sitting down with us. The newly crowned winner of the CLT DJ battle, hey. Dami. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
Thanks again to David Jessup and Dami for speaking with us. And more importantly, thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell your friends to listen. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every Thursday by subscribing to The Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Go. Music by Harvey Cummings.